When dealing with rotator cuff injuries, what influence does the repair technique play in the successful outcome of the surgery? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Spiro Karras, Assistant Professor in Orthopedics and the Spine Center at Emory University and Director of the Emory Orthopedic Sports Medicine Fellowship Program. He also serves as a consulting team physician for Georgia Tech and Emory University Athletics and has been published in numerous orthopedic journals. Today, we are discussing rotator cuff injury. Welcome, Dr. Karras. Thank you, Mark. Dr. Karras, could you define simply what is a rotator cuff injury? Well, the rotator cuff is a series of muscles that attach the scapula or the shoulder blade to the humerus or the arm bone. These uh, muscles are attached to the bone via a series of tendons. So when we talk about the rotator cuff muscles, we're talking about the muscles that control the shoulder joint. And when we talk about the tendons, we're talking about the tendons that actually attach these muscles to the bone. So it can be confusing, but the rotator cuff is actually a series of tendons that attach the rotator cuff muscles to the proximal humerus or the the ball part of the ball and socket joint of the shoulder. And why does this seem to get injured so frequently in sports? Well, it's a very common injury for a number of reasons, not only in sports, but also in work. The rotator cuff is injured two ways. One, by trauma, and that trauma can be sport or accident or fall. The other way that the rotator cuff can be injured is what we call attritional or senescent. In other words, the normal degenerative processes that occur with age can result in a drying out or a weakening of the tendon. This weakening can result in what first becomes a tendinopathy or where the tendon is replaced by scar tissue. And slowly over time, the incapacity for the body to heal this scar tissue can result in what we call a partial thickness tear. And what kind of symptoms would the patient have? With partial thickness tear, the primary symptom is pain. We would think classically a rotator cuff tear, a tear in the tendons of the shoulder would result in weakness. But actually, Mark, that weakness typically doesn't manifest until the rotator cuff is more completely torn, or actually even small tears do not result in a lot of weakness. They usually result in pain. So the primary thing that we think about when we think of partial thickness or small full thickness rotator cuff tears are indeed pain. That would be the primary symptom. Now, that pain can be more common at night. So we see night pain as a typical symptom associated with tendinopathy, partial thickness, or small full thickness rotator cuff tears. And believe it or not, that pain isn't necessarily associated just with the tear in the tendon. It could be also due to the bursitis that's associated or can come along with rotator cuff tears. Well, how do you definitively make the diagnosis? The definitive diagnosis is obviously with a careful history and physical exam. The patients will typically tell you where the pain is most manifested. We typically would think of pain from rotator cuff tears and associated bursitis or tendonitis to be in the lateral distribution of the shoulder. In other words, if you took your right hand and put it on your left deltoid, that's a typical sign that patients with rotator cuff tears, tendonitis, and bursitis will give you. So it's more of a deep, boring pain in the deltoid distribution. 
Furthermore, that pain does tend to be deep, a boring pain, a pain like a toothache. It does not tend to be as uh, sharp, knife-like, or a burning or a neurologic-type pain like you might get from a pinched nerve in your neck. Do you always get an imaging study? Clearly, the first line of imaging studies is going to be a plain fill. And a plain AP and lateral x-ray of the shoulder will show us a number of things. Number one, shows us whether or not we have glenohumeral arthritis or arthritis in the shoulder joint. Uh, we can certainly see arthritis in the AC joint. Furthermore, we can fetter out and ascertain abnormalities in the morphology of the acromial bone. That bone is the one that rests right on top of the rotator cuff. And what we'll many times see there is a large bone spur or a hook in the acromion, which could result in compression in the rotator cuff region. That condition we commonly refer to as impingement on the rotator cuff. And where do you go from there? Typically, if the primary symptoms are just pain, Mark, what we'll do is we'll prescribe an anti-inflammatory and then proceed to some uh, physiotherapy. A, a lot of problems in the shoulder can be treated by just strengthening these muscles that are attached to the bone by the rotator cuff. So you don't routinely go to an MRI from the x-rays? Very uncommonly so. In the primary care setting, kind of that grassroots level of care about the shoulder, the first step is going to be controlling pain, like I said, with an anti-inflammatory or either a cortisone injection in the subacromial space. And typically, as a frontline measure, that's what I'll recommend, an anti-inflammatory that the patient can take orally for about six weeks, and then an injection that you put in the subacromial space that kind of soothes the bursitis and the tendonitis associated with the rotator cuff condition. Then, obviously, we want to recondition, retrain those muscles of the shoulder, specifically the rotator cuff muscles, because the pain response from the tendonitis and the bursitis can result in these muscles shutting down, if you will. They become neurologically inept. They don't function appropriately in stabilizing that ball and socket joint. And a, a modest physiotherapy program performed two to three times a week can typically get the patient back on track. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Spiro Karras, assistant professor of orthopedics and the Spine Center at Emory University and director of Emory Orthopedic Sports Medicine Fellowship Program. Today we are discussing rotator cuff injuries. Dr. Karras, we were talking about injuries that might heal by physiotherapy and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. At what point do you consider surgery for this problem? That's an excellent question. And typically, a lot of the management of uh, shoulder conditions, especially the more benign shoulder conditions, can be patient-driven or electively uh, considered. We talked about a six- to eight-week period of non-operative management, trying to manage the patient again with anti-inflammatories, injections, and physiotherapy. If the patients are not satisfied with their progress at the six- to eight-week mark, then the next step may be to order an MRI or a magnetic resonance image of the involved shoulder. The magnetic resonance image gives us uh, extraordinary data on the shoulder. It allows us to evaluate the chondral surfaces or the cartilage surfaces of the shoulder, the ligaments of the glenohumeral joint, the glenohumeral joint and AC joint or acromioclavicular joint cartilage surfaces. And obviously, what we're talking about today, the rotator cuff muscles and the rotator cuff tendon. At that point, we can grade and stage the severity of the rotator cuff injury, how much mass effect there is on the rotator cuff from the overlying acromion, any tears, whether they be incomplete or complete tears of the rotator cuff. And in cases of larger tears, we can also grade the severity of the tear, the size of the tear, the amount of retraction of the tendon from the bone, and the quality of the muscle behind that torn tendon. 
And on the basis of the MRI symptoms and response to non-operative management, the patient and the orthopedic surgeon can make a plan on what the next step would be. And when you decide to operate, what's the difference whether you use a double-row suture technique or a single-row suture technique? Well, Mark, let me back you up a little bit in terms of the treatment of the, of the rotator cuff. The traditional kind of gold standard treatment, if you will, has always been open rotator cuff repair, where a uh, incision is made in the deltoid muscle, the deltoid is spread, and then uh, we go in manually with, with our fingers and uh, put anchors or tunnels in the bone to repair that tendon back down to the bone. Now, that technique has been employed for 70 years, actually probably a little bit longer than that, with overall pretty good results. There are some negatives with the open technique, though. Patients do experience significantly more pain with an open technique. Furthermore, cosmesis is not as good, the infection rate is higher, and the risk of the patient becoming stiff from the operation is significantly higher with open techniques. So over the last 10 to 15 years, an arthroscopic technique, a technique where the patient, we did not have to open the patient up to perform the surgery with our hands. We could actually employ a fiber optic camera in the shoulder view the shoulder on a television screen, and then use a series of instruments from outside into the shoulder to repair the tendon. The issue with arthroscopic repair has always been how robust is that repair? How strong is the repair? Can the repair withstand normal physiotherapy protocols? How does the tendon heal? Obviously, with the open repair, we're looking right at it. We can employ as many anchors or sutures as we would like to get the tendon back down to the bone. And the typical knock on arthroscopic repairs are they don't heal as well. They don't heal as strongly. They don't heal as anatomically as your traditional open repair. Therefore, the challenge to the orthopedic surgeon, the shoulder specialist, the arthroscopist has been, how can we now achieve anatomic, test-of-time strong repairs, well-established in the open technique, while also taking advantage of all the arthroscopic techniques' advantages, including decreased risk of stiffness, decreased risk of post-op pain, better cosmesis, while making it a very, very strong repair a la the open approach. And I think the answer to that, Mark, is indeed the the double-row arthroscopic rotator cuff repair. And why is that better? Well, what happens with the double-row arthroscopic repair is we reestablish anatomically the footprint of the rotator cuff. So imagine, in your mind, if you will, the tendon inserting down to the bone. The tendon insertion site is not just a small spot weld. The tendon insertion site actually is anywhere from 12 to 16 millimeters. So you're talking about a half an inch to two-thirds of an inch in thickness. A traditional single-row technique would employ an anchor in the bone, which would spot weld the tendon down to the bone at approximately a five-millimeter footprint, which is roughly a third of what the normal anatomic footprint is. And the results thus far of the double-row technique? Obviously very, very promising. When you look at clinical trials, Mark, of the double-row rotator cuff repair technique, you see not only a stronger biomechanical construct, you not only see a more anatomic footprint, but now clearly authors are starting to show that there is higher healing rates on second-look MRI. For instance, the thought process was in the past as this technique evolved, well, sure, the repair is stronger, the anatomic footprint is more normal, but is there a clinical significance to the double row rotator cuff repair? And clearly, indeed, it appears that there is. 
uh, healing rates are better, and obviously the acid test of any repair technique is your healing rate. Does the tendon heal down to the bone, and does, does that repair withstand physiotherapy and normal activity, sports, etc.? And clearly authors are starting to show now that indeed healing rates are better. So it is an advantage that the surgeon can employ to put their patients in the best position to have an excellent outcome. I want to thank Dr. Spiro Karras, who has been our guest. We have been discussing rotator cuff repairs and techniques for rotator cuff injuries. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.